last week <clears throat> we've uh, we talked about as part of this direction series how we've all been created in different ways. So during this series we have looked at these different values or directions that that our church community has followed over the past ten years of life as a church community. And what's cool about this and what I what I said um, at the beginning of the series. Uh, right around, actually on our anniversary Sunday as we celebrated 10 years as a church, um, I talked about how when you celebrate anniversaries like that, particularly any kind of birthdays or anniversary celebrations, when you have a, a, a number followed by a zero, you begin to think about, you know, who am I or who are we? And do we, do we hold the same values and the same ideas and, and what kind of guides us? And do the same things guide us today that guided us back then? And what I talked about was that we may change as people, as individuals, we may change how we understand things. We may ask different kinds of questions. That's true as individuals. It's true as a church community or any kind of organization. But when you really think about it, the, the values that you hold, the things that, that guide you, those things it's helpful for those things to, to stay the same throughout our lives. Well, we have different beliefs and different understandings, different ways that we do things. The values that we hold, the directions that guide us, those are the things that we want to keep as a core and a central element in our lives. And so we said the same thing for the church, and so we began to talk through these different directions over these past few weeks. And if you're wondering, what does it mean to be a part of Southeast, and what is this church community, and what, is it, what does it mean when we say something like, that is so Southeast? If you want to learn more about that, I would encourage you to go back to listen or watch this series to begin to think through how do I implement these things in my life. I had a great conversation with a friend last night. We were talking about how one of the most important things we can do in our lives is ask ourselves some questions about our values, the things that we hold. What is it that drives us? And I said, you know, one of the pieces that is so important to me is that we would begin to ask these questions about uh, these directions in our own lives, but also surrounded by others. So we begin to ask each other, hey, how have you been doing in connecting with God? How have you been doing in your relationships with other people? Have you been contributing to something beyond your own life? Are you seeing your life outside of just yourself and giving into this world, giving back? Are you, are you captivating others? Are you telling people about the, the message of the love of Jesus? Not simply directly, but in the way that you live. And so last week, then, we also talked about another one of the values, which is this value here with the arrows pointing in, that is our contemplate value, that says, am I learning more about myself? How God created me to be, how I'm designed, how I'm wired. Because as I learn more about myself, I learn what it means to love, as Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so we have this command inside of that to understand, to understand how we're wired and understand who we are so we can more fully live out our faith. And as we do that, then we begin to understand the others around us, that other people are wired in different ways. And then we see this incredible reality is God bringing this community together. People wired in all different ways with all kinds of gifts and all kinds of understandings coming together and forming this complete body, a body that is whole because of these many very different parts. And so we talked about that last week and we said we're all wired in very different ways. Now, 
I was thinking about that as I began writing this sermon today, and I, talked, I, I thought about how there's a good example of this idea, this idea that we're all created in very different ways. And a good example of this is the, the, the tendency we have to ask different kinds of questions as we come into parties. And I think about this a little bit last night because our trunk or treat was really a party that we were putting on. And so um, maybe as you came to that event or as you thought about that or as you begin to think about different kinds of parties that we have, you begin to ask all kinds of things about it. In a few weeks, we're actually going to have a big party. We're going to have our friends giving for Southeast and we'll be asking different kinds of questions based on how we're wired and the different kind of people that we are. So some people ask questions like this. Some people are going to ask, what, what time is the party? So when I say, hey, we've got our Friendsgiving coming up, immediately some of you within your, your minds are, are saying out loud, you're like, okay, well, what's the date and what time is it uh, and how long will that party last? Uh, some people say, you know, they may say, well, is it going to be on time? Uh, never or make it end? I mean, some of us, we, we ask all kinds of questions because of how we approach things. Other people are going to ask a question like this. So they may, so, so well, some people say, hey, w- what time is the party? Uh, how long will it last? Do you have an end time for it? What time does it start? I just need to arrange my schedule accordingly. Other people, instead, their question they ask is, well, where will the party be? So the most important thing to them is, where is this happening? For some people, a party could take place anywhere, and you would just be happy that there is a party. For other people, you're very specific and say, well, I just, I want to know, like, I want to be comfortable, like, where is this happening? Where is this taking place? Some people are like, oh, well, please make it somewhere neutral so, so I don't have to clean up the mess. Or There's no way that a party is happening unless it is at my house. Some of you are hosts and some of you, your vision of a party, you say, well, I want to have a party, but I want it to take place at my house because I want to host the party. And then other people don't care about where the party is or how long it lasts. These people simply want to know, but who's going to be at the party? They, they want to know who is going to be there. So you could tell them, hey, there's a party coming up. We got this time we're hanging out. And they're going to be like, I don't care what time it is. I, I don't care how long it lasts. I don't care where the party is. I just want to know who's going to be there. Now, I get excited when I come to an event like Trunk or Treat last night. Like my job was to man a table at one point, and that's really hard for me because the only thing that I want to do is walk around. I want to talk to people. I want to make some new friends. I want to I want to just, just connect with everybody there because I care that, hey, man, all these people are here, and, it, and if I know them, they're friends, and if I don't know them, they're not friends yet, but they will be friends. Last night after everything ended, I was cleaning up things and taking some of the posters down off the window and I met this, th- these two people, this uh, mother and her daughter, and they were so sweet. And I was like, man, I said, this is, this is life. Like just meeting people and just getting to know other people. Like this, it, this is life. And some of you are like that. Now today we're going to look at a passage. And in this passage, we find Jesus at a party. And we don't get to know this host's name. We're simply told he was a prominent Pharisee. It means he was a respected religious leader in the community. And in this setting, uh, Jesus, through a few different examples, teaches us how to host a good party and why Jesus cares about who's invited and how this has to do with everything about the kingdom of God. 
So this this story that I'm about to read, this is this is such a cool story because we see how different people are wired. We see how people uh, connect to different things. We see how people look at things. But we see how Jesus wants us to 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 focus and understand what's called the kingdom of God or this party that God is putting on. And how we're supposed to approach this and what this is supposed to look like, how our attitude is supposed to be. So we find this in Luke 14 and it begins like this. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Now there's a few different things that are taking place in the story. This party was taking place on the holiest day of the week. And because of this, there was this debate, all of this debate about how you were supposed to act on this holy day, the Sabbath day. So Jesus just kind of leans into this reality and he asks these Pharisees, is it lawful to do this or is it not lawful to do this? So there's all this debate happening. See, any any kind of work was frowned upon on the Sabbath day. Any kind of work that you did was frowned on this holy day of rest. But how you define that work was up for debate. So they would create all these these really fascinating sort of narrow sets of rules. Well, if you do this, that's not really work. But if you do that, that's work. And if you do this, that's that's work. And so the Pharisees would oftentimes look at Jesus and his followers, his disciples, and they would be doing different things. And these are the places where they tried to catch Jesus at times because they were frustrated with Jesus. They were frustrated by the people that followed him. They were frustrated by the way that he taught. They were frustrated by the way that he looked at their teaching and said, hey, this is, this is just heavy-handed. This, this, isn't, this is just ugly religion. It's, it's not even really faith. Jesus said, hey, listen, I, I want to show you faith that is life-giving and life-bringing, that has compassion and mercy and love and justice just built into the framework here. And he said, this framework that you're creating over here has all these narrow guidelines and ideas. And he says, I understand what you're trying to do. I understand how you're trying to reach this level of righteousness. But he says, but you've just created all of these sets of patterns and things where the the questions cause you to stop being compassionate. They stop causing you to have mercy because you see someone who's suffering and you automatically have to ask yourself, should I do this? Should I not do this? What does the law say? What are the rules here? Sometimes this is so easy to get into, to think to ourselves that this is how faith is. I'm supposed to ask things like, should I, should I not? Do I do this? Do I not do that? Do I do this? Instead of recognizing that faith is living out of the love of Jesus. When you live out of the love of Jesus, you begin to look into your world and you begin to see and say, hey, is this the way of love? Is this the way of love? Is this the way of love? Eventually, the questions begin to disappear, and you simply become a person who loves. That's the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. That's the way that Jesus works within us. We begin to walk and live like Jesus, and it becomes freeing. Because we no longer have those sets of questions that are weighing us down. We begin just simply to live in the freedom of his love. So Jesus, I love what he does here. He asks this question. He says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? 
I know you guys are wondering about debate. I know that you you you, you want to define what what is work, and you're trying to debate that. You're trying to figure out. So what Jesus does in this question then is he's leaning into this tension because he wants to teach the guests of this party a lesson that by healing this man, and this is so important, he shows compassion, mercy, and love. And he shows that compassion, mercy, and love don't take a day off. But there's something additional here that I don't want us to miss. We think about Jesus having a dinner. We think about people pulling up in our driveways, right? knocking on the front door, coming inside, sitting at our dining room table. But the homes and villages of Jesus' day uh, didn't didn't look like our neighborhoods. They didn't look like our cul-de-sacs. The homes in these ancient villages would have had, you know, huge courtyards. And the doors into the rest of the village would have been wide open. So the picture is more like having a barbecue in your front yard or in your garage than it does having a dinner party in a private dining room in the back of your house. So there's a cul-de-sac right down the street right down here. Some of our friends live at, and we were down there last night. And they've had some neighborhood parties, and uh, it kind of makes me think of that. So I want you to imagine for a moment, what would it look like in a cul-de-sac like that? And maybe some of you live on a cul-de-sac. If you had your garage doors up, you had your front doors wide open, you had your back doors wide open, you had all your windows up, and it was just air just straight through. And you could see through the houses, you could see everything, you could see into the courtyard. This is somewhat the experience of what Jesus is having here. So imagine there's somebody barbecuing right outside of that garage. Imagine people are kind of milling around and hanging out. And that's a little bit of what you can imagine what this would have looked like. So because of that, the villagers didn't just know that you had guests over, right? Because if you went by one of these parties, you know, say you were going for a walk and you were going over the cul-de-sac and you looked and you saw this garage door wide open, you could see through into the backyard, you could see everybody was hanging out in the house. You, you would know exactly who was invited to that party. But there's a key here you would also know who wasn't invited to the party. So anybody kind of standing around in the courtyard, anybody walking by, immediately knows that they're not invited to the party. And it's in those details that that is where we find this lesson in the story that I want to talk about today. So I want to have this two-pronged approach to this. I want us, first of all, to recognize and see this important context in this story. That Jesus looks at the Pharisees and he says, Listen, I I know that you guys are debating work and debating this and trying to figure this out. He said, But I just want you to know compassion, love, justice, mercy, grace. Those don't take a day off. Those always are taking place. But then he adds this second dimension to this story. You begin to turn the cube of the story a little bit. And you begin to see this additional element here. See, the man that Jesus healed, he wasn't invited to the party. He, he's out in the street, in full view of those inside, an outsider not welcome to join. So what Jesus showed at this moment is that you can't ignore everyone outside while you enjoy what's happening inside. You can't sit in your outside barbecue, hanging out by your garage and in your front yard, and just simply ignore people who are walking by. I mean, could you imagine like if we lived like that today? Could you imagine having a party in your front yard? 
your neighbor walks by. And I mean, most of us, I think, I think especially in Indiana, right? I think we still have that Hoosier hospitality reality about us. We kind of would just wave or we'd say, hey, or, you know, in, in our neighborhood, I don't know, we'd probably just be like, hey, come on in. Like, come on over. Like, this was, you guys know we did our spam of Palooza. One of the cool things about that is anybody we talked to were like, just come on over to the party. Like, if you're brand new to the neighborhood, just show up and be a part of it. And like, that's what's happening here. Jesus is saying, listen, there, there is not those outside who you simply ignore. Well, you're having this great party inside. He's saying, come on, come and join and be a part of this. So he makes this point. He continues this as we continue to read on. He says in verse 12, Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. Now, this is a really fascinating set of verses, but for these people like us, it was easy to invite the people that they were comfortable with. These are the people you're supposed to invite to the party, right? They know you, you know them, they know how to set your table, they know where everything goes. They're so comfortable that they may even wash your dishes for you. But what Jesus is pointing out in the context of this is that they may help you wash the dishes while hungry people go walking by outside. See, but Jesus then makes this command to invite those outside to the inside. He says, don't, don't, don't just have this party. Don't, don't have all of this fun. Don't have this great experience. And then just walk, watch people walking by. He says, invite them in to the party. And then he does something really interesting. To that then, he says, invite them to the party. And then he puts a reward to it. So he says this. He says, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. And although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And when one of those at the table heard him say this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. I want to drill in a little bit at what this guy had to say because, you know, this is just so fascinating. We go by these verses, you know, every single verse is kind of looking at the little bit of detail here. And one of the fascinating things is Jesus gives this example. He says, listen, when you have a banquet, when you have a party, when you're in a position to host a party like this, he said, invite everybody walking down the street. Invite everyone who you typically wouldn't have invited in the first place. Don't just invite the people you know. Don't, don't just invite your family. Don't just invite your friends. Invite these people that you don't know to join you at the banquet. And then, and then he says, and listen, and when you do this, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. He says, you will ultimately be repaid. The guy answers him, you know, blessed is the one who will eat it, the feast in the kingdom of God. I sort of imagine this guy who's sitting at this table, right? And I'm not sure where he's at at the table reclining, like whatever he's doing. But, but as Jesus says this, you know, this guy pipes up and he's the loud guy. He's always got an answer to everything, right? Oh, blessed is the one who will eat in the feast of the kingdom of God. Making this huge point, right? But there's something fascinating within his point. 
I wonder, did he really get what Jesus was saying? And I'm not sure because Jesus goes on and explains a little bit more. See, let's, let's talk about a little bit about what this guy was saying. See, the man saw the reward for Jesus' command. He got it. He, he saw that Jesus said, hey, there's a reward if you let these people in. There, there's a reward to that. But I wonder if he saw the most important part of the truth here. See, the reward isn't only found in our own salvation, but in recognizing that because of God's grace, there is more room than we could possibly imagine. See, the, the man says, Oh, yes, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. In some ways, there's this natural tendency for us to think about this in terms of like heaven. He's saying, hey, he said, yes, my reward will be that I get to go to this feast. I get to go to heaven. I get to experience this. But there's a little bit more going on here. And the truth is that Jesus invites the people to see it in a different way here. He invites us to see God's grace in this. Listen to what he says. This is so cool. Verse 16, Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. He tells this story. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered a servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Jesus was saying that the reward isn't just the banquet. It is the grace of the invitation. The reward is seeing things in a new way and recognizing that God's grace is bigger than any one of us and enough for all of us. In other words, there is more room at the table and every seat filled by those we invite should bring us joy. It should bring us joy. And that reward sums up the fifth value or direction we're looking at today. And it's in the essence of the direction that is found in the servant's words. There is still room. There is still room. See, no matter how many people this servant invited to the banquet, there was still room. I imagine that he could have gone out into the street again and again and again. He could have continued to invite people and there still would have been room. And there would have been room because the master of this servant was so, so intense and so focused and so, so um, just, he, he understood the idea. Listen, I want to fill every seat at every table. And while the servant was going out and he was continuing to invite people, here's his master. He continues to build more tables. He's continuing to, to put more chairs together. He's been continuing to put more out. And I think the servant comes back and he looks and he's like, where did all this room come in? He goes, I don't, you don't need to focus on where all the room came in. You need to focus on going out and inviting more people. 
And he comes back and he looks again and he's like, I can't believe there's more seats at the table. Like, how did all of this happen? And he said, stop worrying about why there's so many seats at the table. You may never understand the grace of the invitation, but I want you to recognize the grace of the invitation through continuing to invite more people. I'll take care of the room. You take care of the inviting. And see, the same thing is true of what we call, what Jesus called the kingdom of God. There is always room and we're to go out and invite anyone and everyone in. Rather than closing the doors, limiting the seating, we, we need to build bigger tables, find more seats, invite more people to experience this party. We need to see what God is doing and recognize that we can be a part of that. See, but our fear is found in what happened here. He went out and he began to ask people and they began to say no. So our fear is that people will say no to us. Most of us aren't very good at rejection, but maybe the real struggle, maybe the real struggle is this. Maybe our real struggle is that we don't think our faith is very captivating. So maybe, maybe his, maybe as he went out and he began to invite people, maybe his initial message just wasn't very captivating to them. Maybe our fear is that we're not very captivating to people. We think Jesus is captivating, right? But unless we allow Jesus to change our lives, Jesus says someone that we talk about rather than someone we experience. See, did you catch that? I think this is such a critical thing for us to understand. Unless we allow Jesus to change our lives, he stays someone that we talk about rather than someone we experience. Unless we invite the Holy Spirit to work in and through us, we simply come, become practitioners of theology. See, our invitation is to be people who fully gives our lives to Jesus as Lord. And when we do that, we allow God to transform our hearts into who God created us to be. Now, this is what our Direction series is all about. See, everything we've talked about in this series ties into this today. So with our connect value, we recognize that God is reaching out to us. We respond to His grace. With compel, we see how we are made to be in community, those two arrows going the same direction. We don't travel the road of faith alone. With contribute, we move beyond fear and greed to a place of trust and generosity, recognizing that we're to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. With that contemplated direction, the arrows that are moving in on themselves, we learn to see ourselves the way that God sees us so that we can take all that God created us to be into our world and love the world the way that God loves the world. And when we go in these directions, when we move our lives in these directions that God is calling us to, others will notice. Captivating others, opening our doors to invite them to experience the profound change that we are experiencing in our own lives. See, that's why the conversation I had with my friend was so important. Because as we begin to ask these questions, as we begin to live these out, as we begin to, to implement tools that we have available to us to help us to live these things out, as we walk the journey of faith, each step leading us that, those different directions, each step almost like this direction is here and this direction is here, and this is helping me walk in my way on the journey of Jesus, we begin to be transformed and changed. We begin, begin to be captivated people because Jesus is working in in and through us and through us then other people begin to see the reality of the change of Jesus and begin to say hey man I, I want that I want that peace that you seem to be experiencing 
I want that sense of community and purpose and joy and love. I want that compassion and that mercy that just lives in and through you. And do we always get it right? No, we don't always get it right. That's why we have to continue to open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives. Because then our lives become captivating to others because others see Jesus. See, it just doesn't do anything to simply just talk about Jesus. I saw this the other day as Jill and I were leaving the Colts game. I was so frustrated because this street preacher was on the street preacher was on the street and he had a microphone and a speaker and he was yelling at everybody, you know, and he was just he was talking about Jesus. Man, he wasn't doing a very good job at showing anybody Jesus. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to just know knowledge about Jesus. I don't want to just say things about Jesus. I want to have experienced Jesus and live out the way of Jesus in such a way that all of these people say, hey, I want to be a part of that too. And I want to live in such a way that I look at everybody and I say, hey, listen, I, I, I'm just going to tell you this. There are more tables and there are more chairs than I could ever possibly imagine. And I'm just inviting you in because my job is not a gatekeeper at the door of this party. My job is simply to say, come on in. Come on in and take part in this. Come see what my Heavenly Father has created for us here in this space. I want you to have a part of this. Man, one of the coolest things that happened this year was I was talking to my dad before he passed, and we were chatting together, and we had some of these incredible, amazing conversations. And he looks at me, and he says, Ryan, he says, I'm becoming convinced of, of one more thing. He said, I'm convinced that there are going to be more people in heaven with me than I could have ever possibly imagined. He said, I think I'm going to be surprised by the people who are there that I, I, I just, God's grace is so much bigger than I could have ever believed. It was such a cool moment and such an incredible conversation to have with each other. And it was such a moment that I'll just, I'll just never forget it. And see, my dad lived like that you knew my dad, you knew that he was the kind of guy that he just, he just, just he was welcoming to everybody. And, and I, I mean, I just think, you know, he, if you know him, he also wasn't very mechanical. He wasn't very good at building things. So he just relied on God to do all that building. He said, hey, you, you put the tables together. You put the chairs together. You do all this. But man, if you were going to find him, you knew where he was. He was right at the front door welcoming everybody in. I've asked myself a lot recently, how, do, what do we do with that? He was a huge part of the church and inviting people in that welcoming presence. I missed him so much last night at the trunk retreat because of the way that he did that. But that's the responsibility that all of us then have. We can't just simply rely on one person to be the captivating presence, right? We have a command here by Jesus. All of us are to go out. Why? Because there is still room. See, let's focus in on that word. There is still room. There's still room. Listen to that phrase. There is still room. What if we lived with such intensity? What if if we lived with with such such purpose in our lives? What if we allowed that question to really push us and pull us along to recognize there is still room? Like, I want to be driven by that as a person. I want to live such a captivating life that says, listen, I, I, I want to do everything I can because that is my responsibility to be captivating to others, to, to, to tell people, hey, I want you to experience the profound experience with Jesus that I've experienced. And I want you to hear this. We don't have to have it all figured out. Faith is a journey. So as we walk it, we invite others to join us. So you don't have to have all the answers for everybody. 
You, you don't have to just be able to talk about Jesus to everybody, but, but I want you to experience Jesus. And what you say then to others is, I want you to experience the way of Jesus, the way that I have experienced Jesus. Would you come walk with me? There's a mus- musician, Rich Mullins, that I just love. And Rich, I'm, I might get the quote wrong, but this, I just saw this the other day. It was so cool. Rich would tell people, they would ask him, and they would say, hey, you know, tell, tell me some of the answers. You know, tell me about Jesus. And he'd say, well, if you're looking for me to tell you all the answers, I, I don't know that I have all of those. But if you're looking for me to tell you about how Jesus got me here, come with me and I'll show you. Like that's the kind of people that we're called to be. Let's live like that. Now here's a couple different ways we could do it. Next week on the first Sunday of November, we're going to gather for our first Sunday gathering Sunday. We're going to take communion together. And communion is a symbol of the banquet that we take part in with God. It's at that table that we remember what Christ did for us and where we're reminded that we are invited to participate. Let me remind you, that table is Christ's table. And we're invited to it. We celebrate the reality of our relationship with Christ. And it's in that moment at that table. It's in that moment of grace where we're also reminded that there is still room at the banquet. I love, to, I love when we set out the communion, we're always thinking, well, how many cups or how much bread or how much should we set out, you know, right? I always want to have too much. I always want to have too much at the table because there's always more room at the table. That is a physical image for us to see. As we come up to the table and we see all those cups and all that juice and all that bread sitting there, we're reminded, hey, this is his table. And all of those cups, all of that bread, represents someone who is not here today partaking in this reality of grace. So let me continue and invite people because there is still room. So I invite you to, to, I encourage you to invite someone to come with you next week. I encourage you to invite people into your home for house church Sundays. I encourage you to invite someone and say, come with me on Friendsgiving on November 20th and join us for that. See, let's be a people who are sharing, inviting, and captivating others as we follow the way of Jesus. Let's be people who live out this value, who are driven by this, uh, this understanding of there is still room. Last night at Trunk or Treat, as we got to the end, we had still some more candy left over. Some people came a little bit later. There was always more room. There was still room. Let's live like that. Let's go out into the streets. Let's go out in our neighborhoods. Let's go out into our world. And let's invite people to experience the mercy and the love and the grace of Jesus. Let's say, hey, listen, I have experienced the way of Jesus. I have experienced Jesus in such a way he has transformed my life. Would you walk with me? I I want you to see what you'll experience, I don't know that I could ever put into words. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for these directions. Guide us and lead us to help us to follow you. As we look at this captivate direction, God, may we be reminded that there is always room, that there is still 
room. And let us be an inviting people. Not standing at the doorway, acting like a bunch of guards, but standing at the side and say, come on in, the door is wide open. This party is here and I'm inviting you to take part in it. I want you to meet the owner of this house. I want you to see the grace that lives inside here. Come and take part. God, we love you and we thank you for your grace and your mercy, your compassion, your justice, and your love. God, as you have poured that upon us, may we go out into this world with it, captivating others and leading people to Jesus. It's your name we pray. Amen.